All right, get my mics running. Okay, so uh, lesson number 30, um, The Kingdom of Grace. And I give it this title because as we get down into this one verse, actually, we're pretty much looking at one phrase tonight. Uh, because as I was going through this, uh, I just thought, you know, we just, we don't really have a deep appreciation for what grace is and what God wants us to have through grace. And so there are so many different aspects of grace that we're going to be looking at tonight. And um, the most common thing we think of with grace is we're saved. And so God did away with our sin, and we're saved by grace and uh, through faith. And there it is. That's grace. No, there's so much more. And so we'll be, uh, we'll be going into that as we go tonight. So uh, let's look at our notes there. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5 is the section I'm looking at. And then we'll build more on this in our lesson next week. But in uh, Romans 5, 1 through 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering, retranslate that, pressure, tribulation, trial, all right? The trial, tribulation, generates or produces endurance. And endurance generates character. And character produces or generates hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So in our progression through Romans, we've, we've come to this passage, therefore since we have been justified by faith. That's what he spent four chapters establishing and again, as I've said, that's because it was such a question and such a need in the life of the Roman believers. Uh, they were coming out of an incredibly pagan society, uh, a, a, an empire that was run by, for the most part, crazy people. I'm not talking about our government. Um, <laughs> An empire that was under oppression of, of people to get them to do what the government wanted them to do. A nation or an empire that was almost two-thirds slaves. So the majority of people in the Roman Empire were slaves. They had been enslaved in some way. Now, they weren't all slaves in chains, but they were enslaved by the Roman Empire. Uh, they would take over a region of a country, uh, take over a city, and everybody had to do what the Roman government said they wanted them to do. Uh, they replaced their king with a, a puppet, 
And so they ruled through these different ways. And as these people were coming to the city of Rome, they were finding believers. They were finding a church. And this church was setting people free. This was a whole different aspect. This was different than anything else that they were experiencing anywhere in the empire, unless they were also coming from a, a Christianized uh, area of their own country or city. And they were experiencing freedom and joy and life and sharing with one another and breaking down of a caste system that was just horrendous. Um, the immorality was being replaced with moral standards and what we would take, call today holiness. And this was, this was appealing to people. <laughs> you know, we're facing a day where people say, I don't want that. You know, but this, this is what was drawing people to the church, this message. So uh, far from the church being um, ridiculed, People were flocking to the church because it was so different than their culture. So what's my message out of that? Stop trying to be like our culture and be different. Give people something different to come to. So as Paul is writing to these believers, obviously some have a lot of questions, and he's spent a number of of passages, um, chapters, and he's going to continue. And this question-answer, dealing with trials, dealing with, you know, the misunderstandings, all of that is going to continue all the way through the book. But we come to this fifth chapter, which to me is one of the pinnacles, and to me this is one of the select verses in all of the book of Romans, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. That's an overdone thing. It's, it's only, you have been, you already are justified by faith. So it's not something that you're going to have to work on for the rest of your life. It's not something you have to do your best to hold on to because it might slip away. Uh, no, you have been overdone, justified by faith. Made righteous, justified brought into a right relationship with God, justified. And so this is done. It's over. How? By your own effort? By denying these things and stopping doing that and bringing this into your life and changing this about you? No. By what? By faith. Which, again, he's illustrated over and over in the first four chapters. So this has all happened by faith. And because of that, here's what we spent our time on last week, we have peace with God. Peace with God. This is not the peace of God that is there in the midst of our trials and pressures. This is peace with God. You are no longer in opposition to God. As we call the word enmity, E-N-M-I-T-Y, enmity. And it means what? Hostility. Set in a hostile opposition one to another. And just for our own sake, 
if you are in a position of hostility toward God, let me ask you, who needs to change? Who needs to change? You do. But who did it? God did. God, on the other side, took our side so that he could bring us to him, which we'll talk about later here in chapter 5. How Christ, even while we were sinners, he reconciled us to God. And so this, this beautiful truth that he presents here. So we have obtained uh, this, this wonderful place of peace with God. How? What's the last phrase of verse 1? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one way to get this. There's only one access. There's only one place, one source by which you can have this, and that is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 2. Through him, this one who brought us into justification, who brought us into a place of peace with God, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So this is not the grace that got you saved because you're already saved. So through him, the one who justified you, is that over and done? Yeah, is that your salvation? Yes. So when you get saved, you're justified, brought into a right relationship, made righteous. And the same one that justified you now is going to usher you into a place called grace. And that's why I refer to this as the kingdom of grace. It's not the grace that got you saved. Thank God for that one. But you know what? Grace has so many dimensions. And so that's what we're going to look at. I love, um, love the mountains. Uh, some people like the beach. I like the mountains. The beach is okay too. But um, I remember I, I went a couple different times um, on the uh, Rocky Mountain Trail. And all the way up at the top, there's a place where you can park your car, and hike for about another, oh, maybe 100 feet, <laughs> maybe. Uh, it seems like a 1,000 feet, but um, you're climbing, you know, at 13,000 feet up to almost 14,000 feet. And when you're standing there, you don't have to be that high up, but when you're standing there, everything else is below you. And you just look any direction. There's nothing in your way. You look in any direction, and you can see valleys and other mountains. And you can see rivers and forest and dry places. And it just goes on, and clouds below you. you know, it's, it is so incredible. And that's what I thought of. I was reading through this one day, and that's the image that I got. We have been ushered into this place where we can see this vast dominion, or as I like to use the word, kingdom of grace. I mean, there's a peak over there, and there's a peak over there, and there's a peak over here, and, and, and it's all there. 
And we have been brought into this place where we can see all of this. This is not, as I said, this is not the grace of salvation. This is the grace that salvation has brought us to. And so a further dimension of what we call grace. We have obtained access into grace. Most people think only of grace as God's riches at Christ's expense. The grace that you got when you were saved. I'm really glad for that. All right, everybody better put your hand up. We're glad for the grace that's yours because of Jesus Christ. And so God did away with your sin because you couldn't. And it's unmerited because God didn't say, well, you have to earn it. It's unmerited. God doesn't even ask you for anything. In fact, you know, I love the, the book of Isaiah where it says, uh, Ho, everyone who wants, come buy in and eat for no price. What? Yeah. I'm, I'm giving out grace and it's not going to cost you anything. So the big question is, why don't people want this? What is, what's so offensive about grace that people don't want it? Because you don't get to earn it. It takes all your merit away. I don't mind the fact that I lose all my demerit. I'm glad God did away with all my bad. But when you got saved, God also set aside all your good. Well, that's not fair. I've been a pretty good person. Well, good for you. You still needed to be saved. And now, like I, I use the illustration, but it's it's pretty poor, but it's mine. You know, you could be a great broad jumper. You could be the Olympic champion broad jumper, and you could maybe jump thirty-two feet or something like that. I don't know what the record is right now, but it's you know it's pretty far. You know, to be able to jump that far. That's pretty incredible. But when the Grand Canyon is your goal, 32 feet, gets you nowhere. I mean, you're just going to miss the first level of rocks, that's all. So, you know, it's, it's like, don't, don't try. Well, I'm, I'm a great broad jumper. Good for you. But you don't measure up to that. And so God does away with all of our good because your good doesn't matter to him. And that's what people don't like. I don't mind that God gets rid of my bad. I like that. But can I bring my good stuff along too? No. So no merit, no demerit. So that's, that's the grace by which we're saved. And that's a wonderful thing. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But grace is so much more than that. But we stop with that because that's where every subject of grace, we go to salvation. And thank God for it. But grace is so much more. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7, I put that there, it's about the middle of your page. Ephesians 2 verse 7 says, not after he's talked about how God, not only you know did he, he save us, but he also... Uh, raised us up together with Christ, and he caused us to be what? Seated together with Christ. Now listen, this is the next verse. So that in the coming ages, the coming ages, we're talking about what? 
heaven eternity itself, right? In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, in eternity to come, God is going to take you to that peak and show you all of the grace that he has expended to have you with him. Immeasurable. The immeasurable riches. It's it's not just immeasurable. It's filthy rich. That's what the Greek word riches there is. It means filthy rich. More money than you know what to do with. More grace than you know what to do with. God, I got more grace than I need. God says, I don't care. I gave it to you. The riches of his grace in kindness, in God's kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, God's going to have to take you to heaven, give you a totally, totally regenerated body, resurrection body, purge your mind so that your thoughts are his thoughts and your desires are his desires. And then begin to show you, now that you're no longer looking through a glass darkly, he'll begin showing you all of the grace that you have received in Jesus Christ. And it's going to take eternity to do it. That's how great the grace of God is. And I'm, I'm, I'm eternally thankful for the grace that I've already received. But my goodness, there is so much more grace to attain to. And that's what we'll be looking at. Grace is, I'm going to just briefly here, uh, a little bit of different definitions of, of the word grace. Grace is like so many other Bible words. It's really difficult to give it a one or two word meaning. So you have to give it pages. And so this Greek word, charis, was, was used 300 years before this in the Greek Empire. But it was used before that in the Bible, going all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. So, the idea of charis was used even in the Old Testament. A little bit about that. But the ancient Greek root for this word, charis, comes from the same root for the word joy. Cairo is the Greek word for joy. And so, charis is the grace. And so, here's the idea. Joy is what you have when you've received grace from someone else. Someone walks in and says, "Um, I got a bag of gold for you. Uh, We're talking what? Joy. But the joy is because of the gift. So somebody did something for you that results in joy. 
And that's the tie together for Cairo, joy, and Kari's grace. Grace comes, and what results is what? Joy. Rejoicing. And so you're excited because you've received Kari's. Okay? So that's the basis behind it. It was always considered as something unearned or unmerited and totally at the will of the grantor. In other words, this was totally up to them. You didn't apply for grace. You didn't ask for it. You might plead for mercy, but charis is something that comes unexpected, unmerited. You can't be bad enough not to receive it, and you can't be good enough to earn it. It's totally up to the grantor what he wants you to have. So that's the idea a favor from someone, and you got to get this because this stays with the word all the way through. It's a favor from someone who was of a sufficient ability to remove the burden upon your life. Someone who has sufficient ability to remove the burden on your life. If you're a slave with nothing and your friend is a slave with nothing, they cannot grace you. Right? Because why? They ain't got nothing either. So there's nothing there. But someone who steps in and has the power to remove the burden gives you grace. And your response is joy unspeakable. (laughs) Right? So that's what happens. Now the Old Testament used this word for an ancient Hebrew word, Hanan. And Hanan in, in Hebrew carries this same idea. In fact, it's the same root for the word chesed, which is mercy or covenant love. And so chesed is a wonderful word. Hanan is the root for that. And it is basically the same idea as the Greek word charis, a process whereby one who has something turns graciously to another who is in need. And so again, it's something that someone who has does for someone who has not. Not because you earned it, not because you deserve it, and not because you don't deserve it. It's something that they want you to have, and it's used in a lot of different ways, but I don't want to go into a whole study from the Old Testament. Now, the New Testament, the word came into use in the New Testament Specifically, it started taking a transition to applying to a doctrine or a teaching about what God has given us because he wanted us to have it. So that's the idea. And so the New Testament specifically uses this word. It's not used in the New Testament in a secular manner, though, you know, giving to someone who's poor a benefactor who helps someone who doesn't have anything, having pity on uh, someone who has lost everything, and you go to them and you give them, that's, that's a good thing, but it's not really used that way in the New Testament. The way it's used in the New Testament is God giving to us. God who, <clears throat> who has the resources, God who has the ability, God who has the power, gives us what we can't get by ourselves. And our response is 
joy. All right? So we thankfully receive this grace from God. So in the New Testament, it, it is a, the idea behind God has done for us, bottom of your page, God has done for us what we were not able to do. That is, specifically, the first way and the, the major way in which we think of grace is what? Highlighted in yellow. To restore ourselves to a right standing with God and thereby receive eternal life. So the normal way we think of grace is God doing something for us, restoring us to a relationship so that we can now have eternal life. And that is grace. It is a glorious grace. And so that's the normal way that we think of this. Our sin, our separation from God, made us powerless to do anything about ourselves. That's what Paul's been arguing for four chapters. You can't save yourself. You can't keep the law and save yourself. No one can save themselves, so you need what? Grace. You need God to deal with what you can't deal with. And that is going to stay. And it is by doing this that God removes paying its penalty and allowing you to gain access to the blessings of God. But the top of your next page, because of this application, grace has become locked into that dimension only. It's like looking at a, a multifaceted thing, but only seeing one. All right, so... I may remember when you were a kid, the 72 color crayon box. <laughs> but you just pick out one color. Red. It always was red. <laughs> and there's one color that you're going to pick. And if somebody holds up 72 colors, you go right for the red. Right? And that's how many would go for the red? I was like, look at this. This is amazing. So, but they, I mean, that's, you're just directed. That's it. You're, look, you're sitting at a keyboard of a piano, which has 88 keys, right? But you've got one key that you play, and you just, how many have had a grandchild? It's like bang, 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 right? Come on, right? And it's just like, there's another key there. <laughs> Would you please touch one? You know, but nope, this is my key. I like this. This is my key. You could take them away from the piano. They'll go back and they'll find that one same key. It's like it's right there. And that's what's happened in some ways with this idea of grace. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> that's the glorious grace by which we are saved. Thank God for that. But there's so so, Jesus' definition of grace is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So Carol was talking with me earlier about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Well, this is at the end of that whole story about Paul's thorn in the flesh. And he cried out to God three times that this thing be removed. It's like, God, I can't bear this any longer. I can't stand up under it. It's overwhelming to me. I don't know how I'm going to be able to continue. And God said, Paul, my grace is sufficient. Now, 
about a year ago, I taught a message on this. But you don't remember that. But anyway, my grace is sufficient. The word sufficient, if you look up Webster Dictionary, it means enough. My grace is enough. But that's not the Greek meaning. It's not just enough. Well, that's sufficient. You know, so you got to the store and you you can't count the numbers. I've I've been in foreign countries, China, Russia, <laughs> and I have no idea what this money is that I'm holding in my hand. And I just like, is this enough? And they say, Yeah, that's sufficient. It's probably ten times more than what I needed, but <laughs> right. But it's like, yeah, that's sufficient. And um that's so that's our idea of sufficient. My grace is sufficient, but the Greek word doesn't mean that. The Greek word means an overwhelming surplus. There's a big difference between just enough and an overwhelming surplus. An overwhelming surplus means, you know, here's more than what you can contain. Well, I've got just enough. I got I get, just to get to heaven. That's enough. You know, we we told the story about the guy on the cruise ship, you know, and he walked around the boat deck for the whole two weeks it took him to cross the Atlantic Ocean and, you know, had a little bit of sandwich and bread and old dried bread with him and ate that and looked in the dining room and all the people sitting in there and said, well, he got to New York and it's like, well, I'm here in New York. And the steward said, yeah, but you you never, you never came to the dining room. He says, well, I couldn't afford that, but being here, this is enough. He said, yeah, but everything in there is already paid for. You don't have to pay for any of it. And that's why God's grace is so much more. It's an overwhelming surplus. So when Paul says, I can't bear this, God says, no, no. My grace is an overwhelming surplus. My grace is not going to take the problem away. It's going to give you the strength to stand up against it, to overcome it. So Jesus' definition, he, he doesn't stop there. If you look at this in your Bible, and especially if you have Greek, my grace is sufficient for you for my power. My grace is my power. My grace is sufficient, an overwhelming surface, because, for, my power is perfected in your weakness. So wherever you're weak, my grace flows into that valley. My grace fills that up. It's an overwhelming surplus. Yeah, but I got a pretty deep valley, God. I <laughs> man, I got, I got a lot of problem. I got a lot of need. That's okay. My grace is what? an overwhelming surplus it's it's more than what you'll need so that what you can find another area of weakness in your life so that's what paul says so instead of me being overwhelmed by the weakness paul said i'm suddenly now overwhelmed by the grace and so i'm looking for every weakness i can find he says so i'm going to boast in my weaknesses that the power of Christ might be realized in me. I want, I want every weak area of my life 
to become a, an, an opening for the grace of God to flow, flow into. That's what I want. So I'm looking, where am I weak? Where am I weak? And I'm going to find that place and I'm going to let God's grace flow into it. That's what Paul is saying. Why? One little word that I want to go to. My power is perfected in weakness. The word perfected. The Greek word for perfected means brought to its intended end. Brought to its intended end. So perfected has the idea of the grace was created for a purpose. But if you're not drawing from it, it's not going to reach its intended end. So you can use a butter knife as a screwdriver. Come on. But that's not its intended use. But there's a better tool because the butter knife then breaks or you strip the thing and then you've got nothing to get it. Come on, we've all been frustrated with that before. And so we messed up the whole thing. No, God, there's, there's an intended end. And, and God's grace has an intended end to fill up your weakness, to overwhelm the weakness that you're facing. But if we won't recognize the weakness, then the grace is not allowed to flow into it. So what we do is we hide our weaknesses. Say, I'm not weak. I got no weaknesses. I, I'm strong. I can do all things Christ. I'm strong in the Lord. I got no weaknesses. Paul did. You better than Paul? So you say, I'm, I'm, I got more faith than Paul because I don't have any weaknesses. Paul says, no, I'm looking for weaknesses. I'm seeking those places so that grace can flow in and fill them up. Because there's stuff that I am facing now that 20 years ago I wasn't facing. And I'll move on from there. All right? Because something's happened in these last 20 years. A little three-letter word called age. But... Time, four-letter word, <laughs> things happen. And I'm calling on God to do things now that I didn't know I was going to need to call on God for. But guess what? His grace is sufficient. It didn't burn out. I didn't use it all up. You better be careful. Don't use that up too much. I like to watch. I like to watch racing, just about any kind, NASCAR, Formula One. Formula One, they got they got this thing. I don't know any Formula One fans in here. They got this other thing called push to pass, and it's a it's a supercharging, powerful boost. And you push this little button, and you got extra power to your engine to pass the guy in front of you. The problem is, you only got so much, so you got to use it at the right time, or you're coming down to the last thing and you need your push, you push your button for push to pass and you didn't save any for the last, you know, quarter mile, which is about three seconds, you know, a tenth of a second. But you didn't save anything for it and now you got no thing left. That's what we think of with grace. Well, I don't want to use too much of it. It's like you're 
you draw too much on the grace of God, right? You don't presume on God's grace. Have you ever heard that phrase? Really? Come on, who's heard that phrase? You better not presume on God's grace. You're you're going to use too much of it. I can't use enough of God's grace. And even though that means he has to correct me. Say, Jeff, you're being stupid. So, you know, do something else. Okay. So, I'll move into this next section. The kingdom of grace. He says, through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So, through him. Again, just like he said at the end of verse 1, that all those things are ours, peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So without him, there is no peace with God. Without him, there is no justification. Right? So therefore, having been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, through him also. So we're talking about the same Lord, the same one that justified you, the same one that gave you peace with God. Through him also we have obtained access. Just as we have received this peace with God, salvation, justification, we have this peace with God, we've been reconciled, we also have access into this grace in which we stand, in which we are settled. Another Greek word. In which we're settled. We have obtained access and what that phrase, we have obtained, the word obtained really isn't in the Greek language. We have had access, or we have been given access. It's ours. This access is ours now in the Greek. It's, there, it's a perfect active verb form. Perfect means something that took place in the past with the results that continue to now. Not the action, but the results of it. It happened then, and the results continue to today. It's perfect active. You obtained access when? When did you get this access? Through him also we have, the day you got saved, obtained access into this grace in which you stand. I don't even know what this grace is. I didn't know I had anything. I knew I was going to go to heaven, and that was enough. Right? If that's all you got... The gift of life eternal through Jesus Christ, so that when you die, you go to heaven. Would that be enough? Yes. Oh, yeah, that's enough. But God said, but I want you to have more. So, I want you to have more. So, it's not a little anthill God wants us to stand on. He's got a mountain he wants us to go to. So that we can see this kingdom of grace, we have obtained access. Now, the word "access" prosagoge in in your Greek language, it means to enter face to the face. So, to enter and face someone, and it's it, it's used in two ways: entrance into like the presence of royalty with a personal invitation. So that you are invited into the presence of royalty. The story that you think of is what? Who was invited into the presence of the king? 
Esther. All right, and so you got the beautiful story of Esther, and she had this invitation into the presence of God. We could also illustrate it by the priests on the Day of Atonement, the one day of the year that they are invited into the presence of the Holy of Holies. And so this entrance into a personal audience with royalty. But there's another way that this word is used, and that is into a new realm of dwelling by the action of someone who has power to do it. So this this would be the idea of someone who is of sufficient power to grant you a kingdom. You've had no land, now he's given you thousands of acres. And now you have, have access to a kingdom. You have access to a vast amount of things that you never knew that you had before. You know, this, uh, there are some beautiful places on this earth. You know, and you think of, wow, what if that was my backyard? <laughs> well, let me tell you, your backyard in the kingdom of God is more beautiful than anything you can imagine. Amen. And that's just the backyard. Because God has granted us access into this grace. Not into a person. Into a, an ideal of grace. Of this relationship that what God wants us to understand, or that's why I refer to it as a kingdom. We have been granted access to this kingdom of grace. And what I need to do is start looking around and seeing what's in my kingdom. What's in this kingdom of grace? And so, yes, I have access to the Father and those things, but that's not the subject here. It's a subject other places. But here the subject is this ideal of grace, this, this position of grace that I have received now that I am saved. And this is a place where most believers never get because they got no idea. So, I went into a study of the places in the New Testament that talks about grace. So, what you're going to find on the next three pages, bottom of this page and onto the next two pages, are different things that grace brings to us. So, these would be, if, I, if I'm talking about this kingdom, these would be different mountain peaks in, in this kingdom that God has given. So let's look at these. I'm not going to do a lot of study in these. This, the verses are there. The first thing that grace does, and I tried to do a little bit of chronology on these, the first thing that grace does is makes salvation available to all mankind. Before you ever got saved, listen to me, before you got saved... By God's grace, he made it available. You didn't have to go looking for it. You didn't have to ask God to somehow do something so that you could have life eternal. He did it from the beginning. The lamb was slain from the foundation of 
the world, time, the Greek word time. Before the foundation of time, before there was ever time, God already determined his son would die so that you could be saved. You weren't even created yet. And God already had a plan for your salvation. So look at Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. The idea there is it's making it available. God's grace has made salvation available to who? To who? All people. Is there anyone who can't be saved? So it's available to all people. Do all people have it? No. No. But it's available. And only by the grace of God has it been made available. We didn't have to ask God to do it. He did it. What, what, What else did he? He wrapped up in our salvation. He wrapped up healing. By his stripes you're healed. I didn't have to ask God, could you please add that? to the whole idea of salvation. Would you please put something in there about healing? You know, because he did it long before I was around. He already put healing in there. Provision, other things, we'll talk. So that's the first thing. Then grace does what? Not only does it make salvation available, it does what next? It saves us. Ephesians 2, God saved you by his grace. That's the... ESV. And I I love the phrasing of that. God saved you by his grace, or by grace are you saved. Right? He saved you by grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago I can't stop can't stop top of the next page what else does it do well what we've been talking about grants us stability in the present age we have been brought into this kingdom of grace in which we stand we are there it's it's again it's something that's done in the past with the results that continue I'm here the question is are my eyes open am I seeing Do I realize everything that God has done for me by his grace? Thank God my sin is gone. But this doesn't stop there. I have this glorious kingdom of grace. And there is stability for me. I can can stand secure in this kingdom of God's grace. No matter what I face. We'll talk about verses 3, 4, and 5 next week. No matter what troubles, no pressures, no matter what, God even uses those things to show his grace in our life. Next point. Grace teaches us to live for God in a righteous and holy lifestyle. Now, this might not be the most popular use of grace in our culture today, but we don't care. Titus chapter 2, not only did God's grace make salvation available, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. But what else? Verse 12, instructing us to turn 
instructed. The grace of God has appeared, instructing us, teaching us. God's grace has appeared, teaching us to turn from godless living and sinful pleasure, but to live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. All of that is an outgrowth of God's grace. He teaches us what to leave and what to seek after. Leave those ideas of godless living and sinful pleasure and pursue a life that is filled with wisdom and righteousness and devotion or sanctification. How? While we look forward with hope to the day when our glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. So grace also teaches us to look for his coming. Grace teaches us not just what to leave and what to pursue, but teaches us to seek the kingdom of God that is yet to come. Next point. Grace empowers us to live a new life free from the dominion of sin. It's a whole subject we'll take up as we come to chapter 6. But he says in Romans 6 and verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let it. It can, but don't let it, so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it, your body, to sin as weapons of unrighteousness. Do not offer, which means you can, but don't. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves... You don't have to, but you should. Offer yourselves to God and all of the parts of yourselves to God as weapons of righteousness. For sin will have will not rule over you or have no dominion over you because you are not under law, but what? Grace. Under grace. Because God's grace is available, I can live above sin. I can draw upon the grace of God. To live above the temptations and the sin of this world. And I, I can't do it without it. I'm not under law. Because law gave no one power. Law just told you what you could and couldn't do. But it didn't give you the power to do it. Grace not only gives us the ability but shows us what we can do. Next one. Grace provides the ability to stand under pressure by overcoming our weaknesses. This is the verse we referred to already. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient, for my power is perfected, brought to its intended end in your weakness. Bottom of the page. Grace empowers us to endure all manner of trials in this life. Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 1. But as for you... Don't be like everybody else, Timothy, but as for you. Therefore, my son, be strong in the what? The grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace. You can endure incredible pressure and trial by drawing on the grace of God. And he goes on to teach him here about being a soldier, being an athlete, being a farmer. And each one of those he uses as an illustration of how you draw on the grace of God to overcome. 
top of your next page. Grace helps us find the resources to give unto God's work in times of great need. You see, you see an issue. You see something you want to give to, but wow, pressure is on. the The economy is slipping. Your your bank account, you know, your five hundred one or whatever is, you know, gone. Your K K five, whatever, whatever they are. What is that? What's that called, Randy? Four hundred one K. Five hundred one. Four hundred one. Whichever. All right. So you. You know, you watched it go down, 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 down. You know what? You can still give to God. Why? Second Corinthians 8, 1 and 2. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. During severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty. So don't reinterpret what their suffering was. It was poverty. And their deep poverty overflowed into a wealth of generosity. They found a way to give. Why? Because they drew from the grace of God. God's going to take care of this. So I'm going to give this. I'm not going to hold it back. Think of the little widow. I'm not going to hold it back. I'm going to give it. And I'm going to trust God who will make it up. Don't be stupid. Because if you're not believing in the grace of God and trusting the grace of God, you're going to get yourself in trouble. But, you know what? You can trust God to give. But not only that, it doesn't stop with that. Grace also furnishes us with the abundant financial provision to fulfill God's purpose. So not only can we find the grace to give in a time when we don't seem like we have a lot, but we can also find the grace to give in an abundant continuing manner listen to what he says second corinthians chapter 9 and god is able to make all grace abound to you what kind of grace what specific grace is this the grace to be saved is that what he's talking about no that's not the subject the subject here is money go back and read it second corinthians chapters 8 and 9 the entire two chapters is about money and so he says So God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency, what's the word sufficiency mean? Overwhelming surplus. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Wow. All sufficiency in all things at all times. You may abound to what? Every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Why? Because the one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. NIV says you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Do you ever want to be generous on every occasion? It's like... Well, then I'm going to believe God for the grace to do that. Next point. I've got three to go. Grace is the source of our gifting to serve in the body of Christ. These are such common passages. But Ephesians chapter 4, God talks about the grace gifts that he gave to the church. Romans chapter 12 talks about the body gifts. And chapter, 1 Peter chapter 4 talks about the grace God has shown us. But I'm going to read that verse. 1 Peter 4, look at verse 10. 
as each of you has received a gift. How many of you did? Each. each. Everybody say each. each. Each of you has received a gift. Use it to serve one another. Listen, as good stewards of God's multifaceted grace or varied. The Greek word means multicolored. Multicolored grace. And so God has graces available to us and he uses those graces to serve one another. We're stewards not owners. The gifts don't belong to you and they're not for you. God doesn't gift you to do things for yourself. He gifts you to do things for others so that this power of God flows through you to others in the body of Christ. Whoever speaks, speak as the oracles of God. Whoever serves with the strength that God gives in order that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. Next to the last one. Grace provides us with stability in the word against false teaching. There's all kinds of false teaching. One of the things Paul brings up is food laws, imagined marriage laws, all these different things that people were getting into. And Paul says, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. So instead of giving in to strange doctrines and teachings and all this stuff, no, draw from the grace of God. Let your heart be strengthened by grace, not by, well, if I do this, then I'll be strong. And if I do this, and if I accomplish this, and I, all those false doctrines tend toward what? The same basis as the law. You do and you get. No, grace says, I give you so you can do. So... We give ourselves to those things. And then finally, His grace gives us the grace to overcome self-centeredness. I left this for last because this is, this is the greatest problem in our culture today. Self-centeredness in our lives. But God gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble so you bow yourself and now the context of this passage is talking about sin about you living in sin you doing the things that you want warring fighting making things happen for yourself all those things and it's no no bow yourself before the grace of god god you work through me I don't have to cheat to get ahead. I don't have to put that person down. I don't have to sow strife and envy. I don't have to murder my neighbor with my words. I don't have to take up arms against someone. I don't have to take revenge. No, I humble myself to the grace of God. God, you take care of this issue in my life. How many of you have seen God take care of of things that you had no idea that he would ever take care of. Amen. And it's like, God, I've been praying about this for a long time. And God finally Amen. comes through and he does it. Amen. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee. Draw near to God. And he draws near to you. How all that? The grace of God. So to me, this is the kingdom of God's grace. So many things that we don't think of when we think of grace. So go back and read through some of those, study them. Father, in the name of Jesus.